When the curtain goes up on a musical, it's not just singing, acting, and the spoken word that contribute to the experience. The energy, style, and motion of dance and choreography also play a major role in telling the story and transporting the audience to another place. Hello, I'm Ted Chapin, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing, and joining us today to share their stage experiences are several of theater's gifted choreographers. Christopher Gatelli, Liza Gennaro, Ken Roberson, and Sergio Trujillo. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for coming here. Um, I thought I would start by pointing out that as we tape this program, Sergio, you have four shows on Broadway, Next to Normal, Memphis, The Adams Family, and Jersey Boys, in what are arguably four completely divergent styles. So I thought, you know, are there four of you wandering around Broadway? How do you manage that? You know, I, well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, you know, I, I, um, I'm honored. I'm uh, very fortunate that all these shows just happen to happen at the same time. You know, as choreographers, we invest in different material, and some shows take 10 years, some shows take five years, some shows take two years, and it just so happened that all of these shows just happened at the same time. Uh, I also feel like I picked really, really interesting, really diverse uh, material. And uh, Next to Normal is about a, a bipolar uh, uh, woman in, in the dysfunction of the American family. And, you know, in that show, I felt like, you know, I, I couldn't do choreography per se. I felt like the movement had to be more uh, driven by, by the actors and, and by the characters. Uh, and Jersey Boys, of course, was about uh, a group in the 50s. And once again, I had to figure out the vocabulary for that show that felt as if it was, it was happening spontaneously uh, in front of the audience. And, uh, and Memphis was just as true to, to, uh, to who I am as it can be, because I felt like choreographing that show, I was just spewing vocabulary out of, out of my body. And Adam's family was challenging, because I had to figure out a way of, of translating a brand name uh, from, uh, from a very famous TV show onto the stage and, and sort of try to figure out, you know, what the audience remembered. And, uh, and so those shows are, are all, very, were all very challenging, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I had great directors guiding me and, and, and a great, great teams. And, uh, you know, we're, I, I should be so lucky as, as all three of us are to be able to have, you know, the, the opportunities that I've had, so. Now, Jersey Boys was your, your Broadway debut, right? Yeah, it was. It was, uh, yeah, it was. This is, this is a question that I've always been fascinated. Did that job come to you, or did you have to go grab it? I had to go grab it. <laughs> you know, we, we all, you know, it's that thing, the, the, the thing about the, uh, the opportunity arises, and, and, if you, and if you can, and if you can uh, <clears throat> meet, meet the opportunity and, and deliver, then, you know, it just, it just happened. You know, Jersey Boys, Des and I happened to be in L.A. at the same time for one day. We had a 20-minute meeting. I was leaving. He was arriving. We met in a studio. We talked about it, and there it, it just, that's how it happened. So, Chris, have you ever grabbed a show that you wanted, gone after? Uh, I have, actually, yeah. I, I, nothing specific comes to mind, but I, I can be very aggressive when it comes to uh, plotting and planning if, if I see something that catches my interest or I hear through the grapevine. If somebody does call you and want to have a conversation about choreographing a, a show, um, since choreography is something that's tactile and conversation is something that's verbal, um, how, how does it progress from a first meeting to everybody, you feeling that you can do the job and the person hiring you feeling that you can do the job? Liza, do you have a... Well, I mean, it's, it's, 
multifaceted question. I mean, there are a lot of ways that people go about figuring this out. <clears throat> One is to be really verbally articulate and to be able to look at character, get a script in advance, and be able to really say, this is what I think the dances should be, and where I think dance can enhance and propel the story. Um, the other thing is what's become popular in the last few years, not so much, I think, with some of the people at this table, um, but certainly for me, people are still asking for choreography reel, which I really don't mm. even have a choreography <laughs> reel. So, um, you know, that's something that is very useful, I think, for producers and directors to be able to actually see your work. Although I think it's also very deceiving because what you do for one show does not necessarily at all relate to what you're going to do for another show. Um, for me, the really fun thing about working as a musical theater choreographer as opposed to a ballet or a concert dance modern choreographer is the enormous diversity of styles that we are gifted to be able to work within. So we can create a show that takes place in, you know, Siam or create a place that takes place in Memphis. You know, it, it it's it's that research aspect of the dance of the form of dance that really gets me excited and how I use that form and then the where the artistry piece comes in I think is how you pick and choose what the dance form is that will then propel the story, adhere to time, place, and character, inform character. And those are the issues that directors really need to, I think, be told rather than looking at a reel. I think the dialogue is much more informative if, in fact, they have a script that you can read and music, of course, and a score that you've been able to listen to. And, and does does research enter into that if if there is a, if Siam or, or wherever? That yeah, definitely. Um, the first thing I do is do an enormous amount <coughs> of research. Normally at Lincoln Center Library, <coughs> or I go you know and I go to film, written text. I did a show a couple of years ago that um, Frank Galati created um, that Stephen Flaherty wrote music to Gertrude Stein text. So the first thing I did was read as much of Gertrude Stein as I can, which as you know is not the easiest task. <laughs> um, and it's very encoded. And um, to really try to get into her head and what she was thinking and how she was, what her artistic expression and her artistic project was, I had to understand that before I could do step one. Um, and then once I, and then I did a bunch of the scholarly research on her and the scholarly writing on her, and then I started looking at period. And then, normally what I do is I do this enormous amount of stuff. I throw it all out mm -hmm. and I hit the room and I start making stuff up. And before I knew it, you know, Gertrude Stein was dancing. And because I felt by then I knew her, and what really keyed me in in that instance was her humor and finding her humor in the literature. And then I could find a way to dance her based on that. That's great. Ken, you, you did Avenue Q. Did you do puppet yes. research? Yeah. Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> I, was, I ran away from the show for about a year or so. My agent said, these people want to talk to you about puppets. And I said, <laughs> puppets? I said, well, my career is starting, and it's going to end with these puppets. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to... I had to, um, I did some research that really didn't help. So I had to 
speak. These people were classic. These people were trained and they were experts in what they did. So I had to, I had to respect, of course, what they did as, as these, um, they knew this genre. The puppet, the puppeteers. The puppeteer. And I had to learn if someone was right-handed, what would the puppet do, if they were left-handed. Um, and also there was a thin line between making Lucy the Slut dance her dance, her, her dance routine, her sexy dance, and a thin line between the puppeteer thinking that people would think that they're a bad puppeteer. So mm -hmm. I had to get into the character of Lucy the Slut. So these people had characters, and there were times when I would give notes, and I would go to the puppet. <laughs> I said, well, your arm, I would go to the puppet and give notes to the puppet. I was totally in, in, engrossed in these, in these puppets and the life they had. So it, it, um, it really worked out that I was able to correct puppets, boxes, and having a chance to meet with Jason Moore, I, I, I kind of avoided them for a while, and I met with Jason Moore. And we... He's a director, he's right? He's the director, yes. And I read the script, and I heard some of the songs that I liked. The songs I felt were smart. They were heartfelt, uh, whimsical. Um, so I, I met with Jason Moore, and when I met with him, I told my agent I want it. Mm -hmm. And so through, through someone coming to me for a job, I also, it was, it was a mixture of someone looking for me, uh, looking for someone with, with a sense of humor, and I'm sure I wasn't the only person they looked for. And then I got aggressive and told my agent, I want this, I want to meet with Jason again if I have to. So it, it was a mixture of someone giving the opportunity to maybe look and do this job, and then you have an opportunity to say, I really want this job, and I'm the best person because I can do this, because I think this can happen, and it, it worked. Obviously, you, you all come out of different backgrounds, um, you know, and I know that I think two of you start, started dancing when you were 20. I read that somewhere that you know, yeah, late, I, late I bloomers. I, I, I did, yeah, I, really? I, I was like 22, 23. I, I told, um, I, I was, I, I, I had a scholarship at Abinelli, American Dance Center. I, I, I came up from Georgia, yeah. and I told them I was 18 or something like that, <laughs> and auditioned, and got the scholarship and started. I, I, I was actually going to the University of Toronto. I was studying biochemistry. And then while I was at the University of Toronto, I decided I was going to go be a chiropractor. So, but during this whole time, I'm madly, madly in love with dance. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I, being, being, being Latin, you have, you have certain pressures mm -hmm. of your, for your family, you know, immigrant things that are, you know, dreams, big dreams. You want your son to be a doctor. So I was doing all of this for my family. Meanwhile, I'm just like, I'm loving dance. I want to dance. So I would go Saturday, Saturday mornings, I'd go into to the studio and take classes like from 10 in the morning till the last class, which was a, like it ended at 6 o'clock. And then I'd go off to, uh, to the library and study because I had to make up all of the time I lost because I was taking dance. And then, you know, my, last, my second year of chiropractic school, I met uh, Michael Peters, who choreographed mm -hmm. for Michael Jackson and, and won uh, a Tony for Dreamgirls. And he came to Toronto. That's where I, I was raised. And uh, he auditioned for a show called The Hot Shoe Show. And, and uh, he hired me to be in the show. And while we're in, during the show, he, uh, while we're in rehearsals, he pulled me aside one day. And he said, you know, you have a really, really special talent, God-given talent. And, uh, and, you know, you should do something with it. So that really resonated with me. And uh, while I was in my second year of chiropractic school, I thought about it. And then I just talked to my dean. And I said, I need to take one year off. And take a sabbatical and find out if this is 
something that you know I can actually do something with, and you know the rest is history. Right, and you, you, Christopher, you. Um, Secrets from your past were a Star Search hey. finalist. Yeah, yeah, we won the grand finals. <laughs> when I was 16. Yeah. What did you do to win? I couldn't oh, find gosh. it. I couldn't find oh. it on the web. I looked this I morning. I made sure I'd taken it off. No, I'm <laughs> uh, I had a, quite a hairdo back then. Now it was in the early 90s. I was 16, and and at the time, I actually I, I was on a scholarship with Alvin Ailey as well. I I did uh, some heavy training there, but I, I studied at Ailey's and then also. Being a you know teenager, I was still in a studio, so I was going back and forth between New York and New Jersey, and and uh, it was just it was me and four girls, and uh, we did you know the best '90s remix dance <laughs> routine you could do, and <laughs> jumping and turning all over the place, but uh, it was a great experience. Did it lead to to something specific? It, I mean, well, it didn't lead to something specific career-wise, but just I think personally, it it gave me the confidence to. To go, wow, I, you know, maybe I could pursue this and really take it seriously. I think in in the teens, I was kind of just figuring it out, like, do I want to really do this with my life, or should I go for something more stable, <laughs> you know? Or, but um, but it, it gave me the confidence to go, you, you know, I might have something here, and to really pursue it. So well, it I, started. I love the conversation of the community that you all, you know, live uh -huh. within and 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 help each other and 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 you know, because. I noticed, and I think the world doesn't pay enough attention to the fact that, that your father, Peter Gennaro, mm -hmm. was the associate choreographer, I believe, of West Side the Story. Co-choreographer. Co-choreographer of West Side Story. Yeah. He choreographed all of the shark material, um, Dance at the Gym uh, and America. Uh, and then when they did the film, Robbins did not credit him, but used all of his material. And if you read the Deborah Jowett book on Robbins, she prints actually in a footnote a part, part of the contract between my father and Robbins. And basically my father completely signed away all rights to the material. And you know, it was 1957, he had my brother at the time and he had a wife and he needed a job and he did what he had to do. Her father, I, I was in a small, town in Georgia in the 60s and and um, I had no outlet for classes I always wanted to dance and um, but I felt that again that you know being black middle class why go and to study dance so I went to so um, I would always dance at you know church pageants and talent shows but the, the, the work that her father did on Ed Sullivan that was kind of my training I would try to copy the dance because he they opened the show with dance with dance and I rem and this man's name was one of the first choreographers that I could um, that I knew about in this in this in this world. So when I spoke to her in the green room, I just had to say to her, I, I hope this is not cliche or embarrassing, <laughs> but your father's work is one of the main reasons that I that I um, I took a chance after school um, and felt that I could, I had a vocabulary mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to try to do this type of work. That's great. Yeah. Have you um, recreated his work in your career as a choreographer? I have done some recreations. Um, for a company called New York Theatre Ballet, I did some recreation. And it's interesting because he trained me. Um, you know, you were all talking about training. I mean, I was training at, I mean, I was learning steam heat in my living room when I think I was five. Wow. <laughs> so I've danced my entire life. And um, yeah, his, his 
work is so in me, in, literally in my blood, in my genes, that um, recreating his work is very, very easy for me because I can pick it up off of any tape. It's, it's all over YouTube now. Um, for some reason, there have been all these YouTube clips. And it's kind of fascinating. It brings up a fascinating point to me in terms of television now and the kind of dance that's being shown on television now, which tends to be dancers that are not star dancers, but dancers who are, you know, proficient and sometimes excellent and will have a career. But the period of time you're talking about and when my father had his career <clears throat> on television, you had Gwen Verdon, Bob Fosse, Cheetah Rivera, the great names of the Broadway stage, you know, disseminating across the country this genre, this dance genre, this vocabulary. And it's a shame to me that there's not some outlet for that anymore. Although I think YouTube, actually, as these technologies change, YouTube is the outlet. And the kids that are interested will find their way. You know, interestingly enough, the same thing that you're talking about, though, you know, I hate to be this much driven by pop culture, but uh, Beyonce's Single Ladies mm -hmm. is inspired by mm -hmm. Gwen Verdon's, uh, that the number that she did on, on oh, I don't know exactly yeah, what TV Mexican show, but she actually, yeah, yeah. no, that's not the Mexican Shuffle, though. It, yeah. it, no, it's not. I, I can't remember the name of it right now, but it's actually inspired, it, it's shot three, by shot. By, three. It's, it's, three. it's a trio. Yeah, it's a yeah. trio, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, you know, the thing that, what I love about what's happening on <coughs> television now is, is that for a while that we had lost dance on television yeah. and exposure. And so right now, I, I am okay with sacrificing that, that the idea of training, which, you know, the idea of old school training, the idea of, of technical prowess. When you did Star Search, I mean, you were amazing. He was, like, technically beautiful. And, but, you know, I, I'm almost, I almost feel that, that I'd rather sacrifice that for, for this sort of re, 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 rebirth of dance on television with So You Think You Can Dance, with uh, uh, Dancing with the Stars, mm -hmm. with all of those. I mean, that's just, because I, I see all of these kids who are just, you know, and men, kids. Yeah. I went to uh, judge a competition about three weeks ago for the Capizio Awards, Choreography Awards, and I was astounded by how many male dancers there were in this competition. There were so many of them, and I was so excited because, you know, we, there's not that many men. Yeah. But all of a sudden, there was all these young boys who think dance is so cool, and I'm just, yeah. I'm just so incredibly happy and, and, mm -hmm. um, and pleased. I'm, I'm curious, since you, you, you are four choreographers, but do you feel that there are times when you are doing choreography, times when you're doing musical staging, and times when you were doing dancing, maybe, maybe dances, those are three, maybe that's not right. But where, where the job dictates a specific one of those and your credit will then follow? So your choreography by or musicals, I mean, I noticed, for example, in, in South Pacific that I've mm -hmm. got the pleasure of, of working with, with Chris on, it's musical staging. Right. Um, so did you not want choreography or did you? I think that, that, came, that kind of came with the contract because it wasn't a big dance show necessarily. And I think originally there wasn't even a music, musical staging credit on the show. I, there, there wasn't. There wasn't <coughs> yeah, there wasn't even a credit. So, um, but yeah, but, but especially in that show, like there's choreography in the Follies, but then there's musical staging and some of the other numbers. And so it was, it was quite a you know, diverse palette in terms of what I had to do for that show. And, you know, and talking about, you know, trying to be seamless with Bart and, and, and uh, Bart Shearer, who directed the show, and, and who took over when, and, and it was a pretty incredible collaboration 
with that, where he would jump up and like twirl a towel, and then I'd get up and do some, you know, blocking for one of the, you know, and how we would continually mesh that entire process, and, and uh, it was pretty extraordinary. Seems like that's a title, musical staging, that kind of came up. I can't remember, I can't think exactly when, but people like Pat Birch and Graziella Danielle at one point were taking musical staging credit as dance was moving out of the Broadway musicals, which I think it's coming back in very strongly, partially because of all this television um, material that's on. But I always insist on choreography credit just as a kind of statement. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> because Agnes, you know, Balanchine and Agnes DeMille insisted on choreography, and so I think that's what I it's, do. It, yeah, it's tricky. You know, with, like with Next to Normal, we started, we started when we did the first, the off-Broadway show at the Signature uh, as a, I mean, so, uh, yeah, as a, as a, not Signature, second stage. And, uh, you know, I didn't buy any choreography. There was, a, we had this number that took place in a, in a supermarket, and Michael wanted me to do this number, and I didn't believe in it. I just felt like, Michael, I'm just sort of, okay, sure, I'll have shop, shop, uh, shopping carts in the number, and sure, I'll throw some boxes, and I'm sure I'll, I'll give her a mental breakdown, but it, I always felt so uneasy about it. And so when we went away to, to Washington, I just sort of, I just felt like, you know, I needed to really talk to Michael about it and voice the fact that I just didn't buy any of this, mm -hmm. that I felt like uh, when, the, when, um, when Gabe, the character Gabe, has the, the number I'm alive where he's he's a ghost in the house. That I that I believe in. No, 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 I'm alive, I'm alive, I am so alive. If you climb on my back, then we both can fly. If you try to deny me, I'll never die. I'm alive. But I didn't feel that that was choreography. It was choreography, but within like the yeah. overall the overall themes of the show, the movement wasn't wasn't per se choreography. You know, I felt like it was it was, I was being uh, uh, a, a, a the cinema, cinematographer for, for my director. You know, I was, I was helping him focus. I would find character-driven little moves. And it actually, I, enjoy, I enjoyed that aspect of it with, with Michael because he's sort of, he's such an interesting director and he sort of thinks out of the box. And so, you know, the, the, the musical staging thing comes where, where you're collaborating yeah. with a director so closely that it's not dance and it's not, cor and it's not direction. Yeah, and, I see, and, and the same thing goes with uh, when I did Sunday in the Park with George, the revival of that. It, it, I, I, would f I think I would have felt odd putting choreography down because almost the whole thing was, because it was constantly moving with the painting, with the projections, and, and I had to position people so that they wouldn't cast shadows on the painting, and things that an audience, like, no one would probably ever think of, but it, it was so specific, and it was very time-consuming, and, and hitting things on certain, you know, reads or th accents and things that were all there, but again, not obvious. And I think I would have felt odd putting choreography because I think it sets up an expectation like, oh, well, there's going to be some right. dancing, and then they're walking around with parasols and opening things, right. and it, it, it's not, it's, 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 it's a fine line sometimes with what... But my argument would be the way you choose to open the parasol and the way you choose to place them against the moving image is choreography, and it gets to the question of, well, what, define choreography. And for me, choreography is the expression of an idea in movement. And it can be very exhausting because, with, with, you know, with choreography, you can get into this room and get these beautiful people 
with these beautiful bodies that can do anything. You can sit back. I'm not saying we all do. I'm, I'm very active. You can say, say da 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 da, pirouette, <laughs> and you're sitting back, you know, old school like this. <laughs> but musical staging, you may get people like who've never moved before, and you get, and then you have to find a way to integrate to make them look, to make it look uh, believable. Yeah. And, and it's a lot of work uh, to, to me to, to use the, the emotion of the character, which you do in choreography. You, you want them to act also. So lately here, I've started to use the term choreography. Mm -hmm. Even if it was a one-man show, a, a one-person performance, I use that, that word now. And this is my first time hearing why. <laughs> well, well, this is why I use it now. Since choreography clearly has to do with dance, take us into a studio. You have, how do you begin to create a dance? Say that you, you know what the show is, you're on board, and now here's a dance, either with a number or whatever, and you have to create it. How do you start? Well, I, I start at home. I have a dance space. And this is strange. I get music that I like. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with the show. And I just go off. I dance. Now I found these steps. By yourself? By myself, because if, you, if someone else saw me, they would think I would lose my mind. <laughs> I go alone. Then, then I'll find friends, and I will go to the studio. Friends who, who, who would probably never be in the show, who, who would probably never be right for the show. And I would start doing movement with two or three people. Then we would get some money together, maybe. Then I will hire a group. Um, um, I'll hire a, a group of dancers. They may, they may have been in the show, um, may not, we'll get the opportunity. Then I would expand from there. I would have notes about things that I wanted to see. And because of the dancers, certain things, I would, certain things would be informed by what they can do, about, uh, by what they, about what, what their input is. So that's how I get started. It starts with it, no, it starts. It starts on, on on the subway. I get a lot of when I play the music. I get so much done on the subway. I do too. I hear this music and I say, Oh my God, there's eight counts of eight here. Oh, there's a bar. There's a tricky bar. That's that's two two four. And I like to use the music. Right. I like to, if I can see the music written down. I like to know that okay. I start here. They should do a kick here. Blah blah blah. blah. I should be a crash here. I, I like to start with if I, if I can get a copy of the music. But a lot of it is hearing the music over and over again. But hasn't some of that music been arranged by somebody for you, dance arranger? No, no. you know, this, uh -huh. this, this, that leads to a really, really Until interesting later. question. Because yeah. mm -hmm. I think the most important relationship in the creative process in, in actually working on a piece of music, working and creating a, a piece, a, a choreography for a show, is the, the, the relationship with your dance arranger. Mm -hmm. uh, I work, I personally, I mean, one of the things that I do is I, I do research, so, and then I get obsessed with it. <laughs> I get obsessed with finding, figuring out the, the way into the, into the material, uh, like how do I move and, and how, what is the, 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 the choreography, the vocabulary, the period, like for with Guys and Dolls, I, I, I went and read all of Damon Runny and stuff <laughs> over and over again. And, and then I just thought, 30s. It, it happened in the 30s. They had to have happened in the 30s. It was inspired by the 30s. So I went into, I listened to all of Benny Goodman's stuff. So I found that, that beat, you know, that that was the essence of, of, of the movement for the show. Uh, but then it's the, the, where I'm leading to is, is the dance arranger, that, that person that I get into a room with and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's such a, a dance because it's about the Jim Abbott who's working with, with Chris uh, on, on the present show and 
who's worked uh, with me on, on other shows, he, you know, it's like he'll play something and then I'll go with him or I'll dance something and I want him to match what I'm doing. Right, right. And, and I'll have a drummer in the room as well. Right. So it's this, this sort of this beautiful dance and no one really understands and no one really knows how important the dance arranger is. And I, I like to have total control of what that is because it's like, it's like a composer and a lyricist. I agree, it's this incredible, and it's nice when they can get, when they know dance, and they can, and it's not just, it's not that they're just musical, and like, oh, that sounds good, but when they know dance, and they can work with you and say, what if you did this in a six, or what if, let's throw in a five, and, and really like, uh-uh, and, and then it inspires you and challenges you back, and then it's this really great, like, game of ping pong where you're hitting mm. this back, and it's, and it just creates some really incredible things. I, t I totally agree. But d does the composer have the ultimate say over whether they'll approve the dance arranger, or as you said, Sergio, that you like to be in charge of that? I like to keep them out of the room as long as I can. <laughs> <laughs> it's honest. I do. I do. Andrew Lippa, actually, Andrew Lippa, um, he he used to play for for ballet classes a long, long time ago. So he actually knows yeah. a lot about dance. But he wasn't he wasn't the dance arranger on Adam's Family. Yeah. Though, you know, I do have like a, this really wonderful moment when he came into one of my rehearsals and we were doing this tango and I wanted to have a great ending for the, for the number and he actually, you know, he went, he got up and he was like, well, what if we do it on a, uh, we call it the 11s because it's a, it's a five and a, and a six and, you know, and he started dancing for me and, and all of a sudden, you know, he went to the piano and he started mm -hmm. playing and, you know, we were dancing but I th that was towards the end right. of the process because I just feel like, you know they got enough on their hands, <laughs> right. well, but I respect. But I respect. You know I respect their. You know it is their music, and and ultimately, you know the the, the show has to sound that it's from that it's all from the same same world, the same voice, the same sound. So ultimately, it is. You know it is. Uh, it is their blessing that I that I uh, that I abide by. I had the experience with Stephen Flaherty on the Gertrude Stein show where we were in close quarters rehearsing and he was out in an area right next to where I was working and he was you know on the computer and transcribing and trying to get the score in order and he would pick up on things that I was saying or beats that I was coming up with and he would stick them into the score as he was Whoa. like you know because he's got one of those brains that he can do so many things at once and he would say oh I hear that what Liza's doing and he would put that into the score. Right. Yeah, because I think, I think it's an important point about when you say the composer has enough to do, that the yeah. collaboration of the musical theater you know, needs all the people mm -hmm. doing, doing the job mm -hmm. working together mm -hmm. toward the same show, and that, uh, I think that's, that's a it very important... It is absolutely a collaborative art form. There is no way around that, and every piece, every person is, is I, valuable. I, 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 I did um, a, um, a, a production of Guys and Dolls, the Meek number, of the strip number, so the strip number. Take back your me. Yes, take back your me. They had these these fishtail dresses, these very tight dresses, you know, with with the crinoline at the bottom, you know, for fifties, thirties, forties, and and the the women in the show came at, Ken, we can't move in these dresses. They're so tight. I said, well, they have to be tight. Look great. So because of that, it informed me they came out. Walking <laughs> like penguins, <laughs> and they had and they had to jump uh, on this fake stage, on, on this little stage within a stage, and they helped each other to jump. The audience loved it. <laughs> the audience loved so you, it. you took a it's negative terrible. and made it that, a positive. That inform, and then I said, well, if, uh, the, the crinoline. Let's make let's make the crin. Let's let's take the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the crinoline the crinoline off and use it as a little 
accessories. So he made sure Ava take the crinoline off. He took the crinoline off. And they were walking around with this crinoline. <laughs> and it was one of the biggest hits in the show because of the costuming. Because right. I went with it. Right. I went, I went with it. I was very yin and yang at that time. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I went with the flow. And, and so, and so um, the, 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 even the costume designer can help inform the, the, the oh, dance. Yeah. The dance. Mm -hmm. yeah. What happens if you are choreographing a show that has pre-existing dance music and you have to fit in with that? Is That's that tough. That's, I think, that one of the toughest things because those people, the sh kind of shows that are uh, revived had either Genevieve Pitot or um, Trudy Rittman or some, you know, incredibly talented, gifted dance arranger who created these beautiful pieces of music that were so designed specifically for the choreographers that you're almost, I find on the Robbins shows particularly, you're handed a map basically. And it's very, very hard to divert from what that you can almost feel them saying with you. You know, you do this here, you do that there. It's like telling you what to do. So I think that that's a real struggle. And does that crimp your creativity, or is it a, a creative of a different kind? It's a I think it's a creativity of a different kind. I really do. I, mean, I have to go back to, to what Chris did on South Pacific, because as we said earlier, there was no choreography. Yeah. Um, and, and around Tony time, I said, I said to him, you're going to get nominated. And you said, why? I'm not going to get nominated. I said, no, no, no. You did the best non-choreography choreography for that production, you know, right down to the, to the Anders sisters' little but, move. But it was something fun. But even for, for, that, for, uh, for Nothing Like a Dame, you know, I know, like, it, and it, with that show, it's even in the script. Like, the men pace back and forth at the end. They do, like, it's written in. <laughs> and Bart's like, don't, don't look at it. Just don't look at anything. Just don't look at it. And, you know, but at the end, it, it sets up a different kind of work where, you know, there's, there's little accents uh, at the end of, of Dan where they have the bunk, bunks, da 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 bunk, bunk. You know, in my head, and just riding that wave, you know, of the collaboration with Bart, it's like, it, but then you close your eyes and you listen to it a million times, like we all... You know, but and I just saw them popping up one by one, mm. and 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 now after seeing it, like I can't imagine what they could have done. What else they could have it's done? It's a very Jerome Robbins because, moment, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's it just that spoke. It just was so clear when I heard it. Like that's what that is, of course. Nothing acts like a day or attracts like a day. So who were some of the early inspirations that sort of, that got you all to this table today in terms of <laughs> choreography? Wow, I mean, for me, I mean, I would say like Scott Salmon and Chris Chadman, who choreographed Guys and Dolls, I mean, being my f first experiences here, and, and they were so, so creative and, and passionate and in completely different ways though, where Chris was very like passionate this way and strong and just work us to the ground. And, and Scott was just like completely the opposite, but in, in still the best way. I think those two, those two uh, personalities and their two, two loves of it, just, I knew, I knew after we worked with him, I was like, this is, I know I'm gonna go, I know I'm gonna end up doing this because 
it just it was so completely inspiring. The first show that I was hired for was Jerome Robbins Broadway, and the last show that I did as a dancer was Fosse. So, you know, I was lucky enough to have danced the material and uh, you know really be inspired by by that by their by their their genius, you know, by their vocabulary, by their concepts. Uh, so, you know, I, I know that I carry it subconsciously. There's a lot of that in me. Uh, and, you know, people like that I assisted in the process and in the years, Jerry Mitchell, Ron Marshall, uh, even, you know, Debbie Allen, Michael Peters, all of these, all of these people, all of these great, great talented choreographers play a role in, 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 in um, because we don't, we don't go to choreography school. You know, you don't go to, is there a choreography school? I'm sure there probably is. I'm sure there's definitely choreography. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, so, but, but you know, not for <coughs> musical theater specifically. Right. Yeah. Yes. But yes. you know, so it's it's a, yes. it's a, you yes. know, I think it's an art an art form that is that is learned from masters. I believed, I believe, me personally, I didn't have the confidence to, or, or neither did I feel like I should. You know, all of a sudden, call myself a choreographer, you know, because I wanted to do it. You know, I felt like I needed to, there was a process, there was, there was a lot to be learned, and uh, you know, by studying, by assisting, you know, different people have different ways of, of arriving to this place. And one, for me, it was, you know, really, really, you know, go and, and, and uh, you know, uh, let Jeremy Cho assist him on a Broadway show so that, you know, he's, his name is on the, <laughs> <laughs> I can learn from that, like, to take the pressure off, no. No, it was really about, you know, learning from great, 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 talented, uh, choreographer so and I think I, I just don't want to leave without men tipping our hats to um, you know yes I was trained by my father who was trained by Catherine Dunham who is very unsung hero in the American musical theater um, she had enormous enormous influence on uh, everybody and particularly I would say on Jack Cole who was a yet another great um, example and to some degree defined the form along with of course Robbins and Michael Kidd mm -hmm. who also gets mm -hmm. shortchanged a great deal of the time and who did spectacular dances. I didn't take classes at Georgia but I took some classes at, in this little theater. It was about I think I was last year of school maybe 20 something and Gail May this lady in this small town in, in Athens you know not a very small town but University town. town. A university town. That had this energy. Mm -hmm. And she would choreograph. We did, we did these shows maybe every six months. And just the way that she would work with us, the way she worked with people with all types of skills, I think she was one of the first people that I thought that I could do this. Then I came to New York and there was Henry Latane, mm -hmm. who was this, who God knows, who worked with Eleanor Power, Power and all these people, an unsung mm -hmm. hero mm -hmm. who taught me, who would give me, I had a temp job at AIG. <laughs> yes, and, yeah, uh, right. and so at fault. home, I, yes, of course, I, I would have been retired and rich now in jail. So um, <laughs> he, um, he would give me these tap lessons and then Hope Clark yeah. would take me under, under her wings. And then uh, people like George C. Wolfe, who was not really, was not really a choreographer, but knew how to spit out what he thought the movement should look like, mm -hmm. it, it, even as a dancer, when I would watch him as a dancer. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I watch him, when I was dancing in a show that he did. So I got all these influences from a lot of modern dance choreographers, too. 
I had a revelation early in my days at Rogers and Hammerstein of seeing a production of Carousel that, was, that actually had you. And what, the revelation to me was the fact that her choreography is about telling a story. Mm. And the steps are kind of irrelevant. Mm. I mean, they're not irrelevant, mm -hmm. but they are so secondary. And it was a, a, a sort of a mind-blowing experience. But I, I guess my question is, when you're in, a, in, in the studio, when, when do you think steps? And when do you think steps in service to a bigger thing, whether it's a telling a story or a dance at a gym or a, you know, something else? I'll say, I mean, right now, I'm, I'm going through it as we speak. Uh, for Women on the Verge, it's funny, we're, we, uh, we start previews tonight, but um, we've been, the way Bart likes to work is he loves to figure out the story first and how the components work with the story. And so being it's a new musical, it, we don't know until that day in the room. Like, he, we don't do pre-production with Bart. He doesn't let you do, he never meets before. He just says, go do as much research as you can, and then come in the room, and then he just, we spit it out, which is terrifying. <laughs> but it's, but it, it, it's, it, what I learned on South Pacific was, though, that it really works for the piece, because it's not, you don't come in with any preconceived anything. It's in the moment, and you just do it, and you make a, it's hard on the ego, because you just are so exposed, and so, like, <laughs> it's your first pencil sketch. But it, it's always right for the piece. So what's different with women is there's a lot more dancing in women. Like there's dancing, dancing in women. And, um, and it's hard because I've had to sit down with the dancers because they're used to just getting in a room and going to town right away. And I had to and go, look, this is not that process. <laughs> I said, you're going to look horrible. I'm going to look horrible. We, but we have to go through it because what's great about art is but by the end of, but at the end of the day, it's going to be right for the show. And that's, it's thrilling to know that and to trust that. And we may go through a million different versions on our feet. So like, there are steps that they're doing right now that will not be in the show. <laughs> but they're there to fill a, a space where the right steps will be. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's like almost doing a workshop on its feet in the rehearsal process that wow. leads to the show. I've had two, I mean, I've, I've had both. I've had. Uh, with with the, the 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 guys and dolls revival, it was Des and I literally worked on what the what the prologue of the show was going to be. We did it in writing, and and then I went into a studio, so I knew what those stories were. And then you know it's interesting because usually I like to be exposed in the room in pre-production with my team my team right. because that's when I can really be. Mm -hmm. You know I I'm I'm okay to like just be silly and crazy. But somehow when I get into the room with my dancers, I sort of try to keep myself a little bit uh, more uh, you know guarded because you know with dancers you sort of have I'm old school. With, with guarded, as I think all of us are, we all, uh, you know. <laughs> Good. But no, with, Good. With, with dance, you know, with the dancers, you sort of have to create parameters because you know they're used to like certain rules and certain you know disciplines. So, uh, and and I and I and so when I come into the room, I have a plan, I have a blueprint, and then I then I like to you know as as well as being strict and all this stuff, but I like to be able to sort of mold it around them. But the, those, those words and that vocabulary and the structure is pretty much done. But knowing that, that, that I come in with the sketch and then um, I can sort of start reconfiguring it. You know what's really different now, I think, and argue with me, please, um, is that when DeMille was choreographing, DeMille particularly more than anybody else because Robin's diverted from this eventually, um, DeMille really came out of those early modern dance mavericks. Graham and 
Graham specifically, Donna, um, Humphrey Weidman. And those people there, the tenant of that early modern dance movement was invented movement, create new movement that had not been seen, had not been done before. And if you even look back at Balanchine's early shows, don't forget he choreographed 15 Broadway shows. You see that you know he was also experimenting with new vocabulary, as of course he did in the classical ballet and reinvented classical ballet. But with DeMille, that idea, I think, became revived, and you may hate people on this panel, may hate that I'm going to say this, with um, Spring Awakening. I think that Bill T. Jones really did harken back to a kind of aesthetic sensibility that DeMille had. And it's difficult in Broadway theater the way it is right now, I find, for all of us to have that kind of support to, to be given to create these kind of invented movements based, yes, on, our, on our, his, our research and based, yes, on the vocabularies that we have researched for the project. But then, you know, DeMille's bread and butter was discover the movement and then distort it. And there's a very interesting thing that happens with movement when you're allowed to do that. And I think that all of us have found sneaky ways of getting that in. And I know, you know, even in this nymph show that I've just done, The Great Unknown, I've got a moment in there of Buto. Now, nobody in the audience <laughs> is going to know that I'm doing Buto, but damned it, I'm doing Buto. <laughs> you know? And it works for the movement because it's organic and it kind of makes sense. But I think that that's something that. I think we all, if I can be so bold as to speak for all of us, really need to try to find ways of bringing dance vocabularies and dance as a really independent expressive form back into the musical theater at this point in time when people are loving dance. Yeah, I actually had an experience uh, in, with Adam's family where I, I went and worked with a flamenco uh, uh, dancer, uh, Sarah Erdy, and I learned everything from her. And then what I wanted to do with the show, because it was very Spanish at first, I wanted to create this, this vocabulary that was very specific to the, to the ghost in the show. And, mm -hmm. and I worked uh, for a long time, like for, for almost four weeks in a studio, just dancing around with dancers and creating this vocabulary that was really interesting and and out of the box, and I was really, and I was pushing myself because I felt, you know, I, I, there's nothing I can do but take chances. I mean, I got to. I mean, this is where I'm at in my career. If I don't, if I don't put myself on the line, I'm never going to find my voice. And then we opened in Chicago, and I felt like the audience was confused. They were confused, and people were telling me because the movement was just, you know, it was the brand name. They wanted, yeah. like, it wasn't, the Adams family wasn't moving weird. It was everybody around them. Not weird, but in, in, you know, in its own unique, interesting style that I wanted to create. And so therefore, you know, it's that thing about support. It's about you know, so being able to, to see that you know, I was trying to, you know, me personally as an artist, trying to you know, push myself, you know, push, push from myself from the comfort zone and create mm -hmm. a new way of movement. And uh, 
you know, I wasn't able to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but do, do, do you feel that, that part of the reason that it isn't as hospitable a world today to encourage you is because there are preconceived notions in the producers about exactly what... I think there's what two reasons. I think that Robbins is one of the reasons, because Robbins in his last two shows, Gypsy and Fiddler, which are both brilliant and two of my favorite shows, was came to a point in his career where he so integrated dance into the book of the show that it became so seamless that you don't almost know what he did. And it, the work looks improvised. And that became the accepted mode of choreography for, that, for a long period of time. I think until Gower Champion and then Michael Bennett started playing around with transitions and using dance as a scenic device. Um, so I think we're, we're a little bit stuck with that. And then I think we're very stuck with the Fosse, um, you know, predominant visual. It's on television. You can't get away from it. It's, everything is derivative of that Fosse style because it's accessible. It's easy to copy. Um, dancing schools do it. You can take Fosse style dance classes. Kids get can you know put give it to you in a split second they know what it is and i think that that hurts us to some degree because there are many other ways to represent the female body in a sexual fashion than just what fossey did and i think that's something that is just predominant and i think sometimes producers get afraid and say well i don't know if i want a number like that as for instance, in Light in the Piazza, if I may be so bold, there was a number where the girl gets lost, and I thought, God, what a great opportunity for dance that piece, that moment would be. But I bet they didn't do it because I bet they were afraid they were going to get Fosse-esque in, you know, thing that we've all seen before. Whereas I think there are so many other ways that you could, fem that you could represent that female body. Do you think that what Bill T. Jones did in Spring Awakening, creating a new vocabulary, should be, should be the sort of one of the ways to the future? I do. Well, those people, the male, like Bill T., they had a background of modern dance, and they had their own, that Bill T. Jones, that that Michael Mayer, I, I don't, I'm not sure, but, but he, that he was allowed to bring this vocabulary of this style that he was that he's been doing for years in mm -hmm. in the modern world. Mm -hmm. I did Stupid Kids of a show called Stupid Kids with um, Mayer, um, with um, Michael Mayer years ago, and the same thing happened with me. He said I don't do not want it to look like Dan, so I brought my modern training from Horton, because I love Lester Horton training, and I kind of, I, I, I skewed it, I made it a little askew to fit these dancers. So you would get a, a director sometimes who, who has the, this aesthetic, who's not afraid to, to step out of the box. So a lot of it deals with the director who's not afraid to bring something new, who knows that a good book, along, a, a creative book along with creative movement can make a great show and the audience has to find it that you respect the, the intellect of the audience mm -hmm. to find it and that's what my frustration is sometimes that when i interview with some directors if i feel that the aesthetic is a little different i say i need to walk away 
need to walk away. Well, why don't you be the director as well? I'm doing that. I have a show with Nymph mm -hmm. called Frog Kiss. <laughs> and um, it's not a natural transition all the time sometimes for choreographers to be directors, but I'm doing it and I, I love the fact, you know, the costumer, the set design. I do it in, in, in regional theater a lot, but, but it's my opportunity to do it in New York City and I really I love the, the challenge of it. Okay, I want to ask one last question. What are you doing today? to make certain that your work lives on in 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and 50 years from now? I, I'm interested in doing theater that can provoke, can inspire, and can, uh, in some ways, uh, push the envelope, if I may be so, so uh, pedestrian. Yeah, I'm working on a piece of theater called White Noise, which is, uh, uh, that I'm directing and choreographing, and it's about a white supremacist pop group. And, and uh, it's based on a real, it's a, a real story about these two young girls uh, uh, called Cypress Blue, and they were, they're part of the, uh, of the neo-Nazi, the, the white supremacist movement. Uh, you know, I'm looking for various different, different material that, that can, uh, can uh, I feel like it's our responsibility, as you say, to create new vocabulary, but I think it's also our responsibility to, to be able to create art that can, uh, uh, probably, if, if hopefully, will we'll prevail and will have longevity, or for the moment in time, address political issues or, or, or issues that are relevant to our culture today. So I feel like that's the way that I can uh, have longevity and, and... But also, as Liza said at the beginning, even though a DVD reel is not the best way to get a job, you know, I think you, I, I would urge you all to, to make certain that, that in some manner or form, the work that you're doing today, you, you think that it can be, can be kept in some form so 50 years from now people can say, what is it Christopher Catelli work on Women on the Verge? I, I, yeah. I want to see that. So. Well, it's, I mean, they're lucky because there are archival um, uh, film made that are held at the library in Toft at New York Public, uh, um, Lincoln Center. But I'm going to be, it's interesting you asked this question, in a couple of weeks I'm involved in a um, group that's getting together to talk about this very issue of dance preservation. It's including David Gordon and Valdez Setterfeld, and it's organized by a man named uh, Doug Reside from Maryland Institute of Technology. And he's interested, he's put together a group of choreographers to come and sit down and talk about preserving dance because it's an ephemeral art form and you know and in terms of recreating it how do you recreate it and it changes with the cast and if the choreographer is not around people like Peter Bausch who just died, Merce Cunningham you know how does that work go on and um, apparently there's a lot of uh, new technologies that he's very interested in sitting down with us and talking about and discovering how to better preserve the work so that it's not just a frontal view on a proscenium mm -hmm. stage of the work. With the hope that there will be great preservation in, in the future, we come to the end of this, and I'd like to thank all of you for, for you. being here. Thank uh, these you. Programs, thank you. My pleasure. These programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York in partnership with our friends at CUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theatre Wing, I'm Ted Chapin, and thanks for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theatre.
I'm Ted Chapin, chairman of the American Theatre Wing. The Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. Best known for creating the Tony Awards, we stand for excellence, but we also support education in the theatre, and our work reaches beyond Broadway in New York. The Working in the Theatre television programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are unequaled forums for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth radio interviews were created in conjunction with XM Satellite Radio and can be heard on our website. Our annual theater company grants support New York not-for-profits and since they began have distributed nearly $3 million. We are also pleased to be the home of the Jonathan Larson grants, which support emerging composers and lyricists. For people who are starting their careers, we have a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country called Springboard NYC. And our theater intern group provides a forum for young people who are starting their careers to build a professional network. All of the American Theater Wing's educational and media programs are available for free on demand from our website, americantheaterwing.org. Thanks for your interest in the Wing, and thanks for watching.